we uh, want to uh, continue where we left off. We are studying uh, this morning from uh, a little letter in the New Covenant. It's called 1 John, right? And uh, this is very important, very important little letter, and uh, only, let, only little in the sense of it, that it's kind of short, but not little in terms of what it means. And as I have uh, shared uh, previous weeks, that uh, we should not uh, gather from its location in the uh, New Covenant that it's not as important as other letters because it's toward the end, you know? Sometimes we just view it that way. Uh, and, uh, or because, you know, there's the Gospel of John and then there's like the little brother, you know, uh, uh, down toward the end. Uh, but this is a, a very, very important uh, uh, letter that... Um, has a lot to say to us uh, because we face some of the very same issues that they faced uh, in that day, that there were uh, uh, people who were um, uh, coming in and, and trying to teach people otherwise. And, and as we've already said, and you can uh, hear by way of recording, that um, there were those who believed that Yeshua wasn't a real person. That was an issue at that time. Uh, and there was also a belief that if one uh, is a Messiah follower, then uh, there would be no sin. That you cannot sin and be a follower of uh, the Messiah. And, uh, and so he's dealing with uh, some of that. We've been talking about, about that. We've talked about uh, the importance of the reality, of course, of the body of Messiah, that he was a real person the Lord in the flesh, and what that meant. And then uh, we did spend some ample time on what fellowship means, koinonia, the shared life that we have with the Lord and with each other, that by definition, we have eternal life in Messiah. And it's not our own individual eternal life, right? It's not like there's like a hundred different eternal lives in here, right? Uh, but it is his life that we participate in, Right? Uh, and uh, therefore, by nature, uh, Messiah followers, believers in Messiah, we are uh, connected organically, is kind of a nice term to use, because the Spirit of God dwells in us. The Spirit of God dwells in us because we participate in His eternal life. See, it's all connected uh, in, in that way. And so, uh, therefore, uh, no matter who we are, whether we have the same hobbies or, or the same personality, uh, or we come from the same background or ethnicity or from whatever part of the world or whatever culture we may be from, if we, if we have embraced Yeshua, we are participating in his life, in eternal life. He's given us his life, right? And therefore, we're all uh, related in that way and have fellowship uh, with each other. And there are those, evidently, uh, that were coming to this community that he was speaking to and saying, well, if you're part of that, you won't sin. You might make mistakes, but you can't sin because you're in the light, and so therefore you, uh, you just uh, don't sin. And I thought about that, you know, uh, this week, and I would say, well, you know, there are some groups. There are some groups of people that say something like that. There are, like, well, anyway, there are some groups that, that say that. But what is more prevalent in our midst are those of us that don't actually believe that we don't sin, but that we actually act like we don't sin, right? 
we act like we never sin. And how do we uh, display acting like we never sin? Maybe by just, you know, being phony and covering up every single thing in our lives and just, you know, here I am. And, uh, you know, and we portray ourselves a certain way or by pointing fingers all the time at other people, right? Uh, and say, well, that per- how can that person be saved? How can that person be a believer? You know, as if we are the decider of everybody's eternal destiny, right? Uh, uh, but with that kind of attitude, uh, it certainly gives the impression uh, uh, that uh, sinners are not welcome. You know, that, that is the impression that, uh, that one gets. So what's really more uh, hitting home to us is not really an actual belief that believers don't sin, but by pretending that we don't sin, uh, or thinking that, uh, you know, uh, believers just don't act that way, right? Well, it is true that there are plenty of verses, boy, and some of them are right here in this letter, uh, and we'll see them in weeks, months, and years to come, okay, uh, that say, that give the impression that uh, if you're in the light, we're children of light, and, and, uh, and we don't sin. But as we have already said, uh, the terminology here uh, explains to us, have a lifestyle of sin. That, that if we are children of light, if he is the light and we are the children of the light, then we are to walk as, as, as he did, so to speak. Uh, and so therefore, if we are uh, of the light, we are uh, called to live a certain way. But he anticipates... Uh, you know, in other words, he says, now this is true, uh, you know, in verse uh, uh, 6 and 7, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Yeshua, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And we talked about that the last time. Now, he says, you couldn't, inf- you know, you have to wonder, what is he thinking when he's writing this? Perhaps, you know, one could infer that then we're never going to sin. But now he says, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then uh, in verse 10, I'll skip over verse 9 for just a second. And then in verse 10, he says, if we say that we have not sinned, not only is the truth not in us, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You know, that's kind of interesting. So that means that one of the demonstrations of walking in the light is that we recognize when there's sin in our lives. It sounds almost like a contradiction. One would think that when we walk in the light, okay, there is no sin and that's it. But the fact is, is that when you walk in the darkness, you don't see sin in your life and perhaps no conviction of of sin but when we walk in the light we see the sin so that means that if we are a community of messiah followers and we walk in the light well we better all be sinning right or better to say we better all recognize that we sin and so part of knowing you're a messiah follower is recognizing that you sin and that you feel guilty about that. 
In other words, our conscience uh, tells us we have sinned. The scariest place to be spiritually is a place with no conviction of sin. That is the scariest place to be. If, if you are here today and you're thinking, I have no need uh, for uh, you know, anything. I, uh, I got it all figured out. It's done. And, and uh, I uh, don't need to confess any sins. I don't sin. Then we need to have a talk about understanding what sin is and understanding our nature and understanding the great importance of Yeshua. See, that is what happens when, when, when we read in the beginning of the Gospel of John that he came into the world and the world received him not. He's the light and the darkness rejected the light. The reason that Yeshua is not good news to everybody is because most people don't recognize sin. Maybe just bad habits. Or, you know, I need to be a better human being. But if we recognize that there is sin in our lives, then God is true. His word is true. Yeshua came for a purpose. And it's all good news. And so that is what he is bringing out here. Okay? So I know that sometimes we struggle with sin. You know, uh, we struggle with, why do I sin if I know the Lord? Why do I sin if I know the Lord? You sin because you're a human being. Okay? That, that's why you sin. Okay? Uh, but what Yeshua has done, he has come, he has uh, uh, died for our sins, meaning he becomes the atonement for our sins. Right? And he takes our place. Right? And so uh, he pays the price for our sins, and in his resurrection, in his life, we're saved by his, his life. See? Let's turn for a second over to Romans, the book of Romans, in chapter 5, for just a second. In verse uh, 8, it says there, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Messiah died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we are saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That, that eternal life that he shares with us. Okay? Uh, and so, in ancient times, when our ancestors, as we read in the Torah, I, I engage the tabernacle as we're reading here in Exodus and as we now read uh, in Leviticus starting uh, uh, next week. Why did they need all that? Because they were human beings and because they sinned. And God has always provided a means for people to be right with God. Uh, and there's always been a need for atonement. Uh, there's always been a need uh, for being made right with a God. And from the beginning, Yeshua has been the promised uh, Messiah, but in the Torah, God gave uh, uh, us, uh, um, you, you might say, uh, an opportunity to be made right with him, uh, all waiting for the Messiah to come, to pay the price. And so, uh, here in 1 John, uh, we say, we understand that 
one of the great important truths, we might not consider it good news yet, but one of the great important truths is that we sin. So that means then, if that's true, okay, that one of the telltale signs of being a Messiah followers, we're children of light, we walk in the light, therefore we recognize sin, then that means that one of the things, or one of the, uh, the badges of identity, how's that, right? We usually use that for other things, but uh, uh, of being a Messiah follower is that we confess our sins. Confessing sin should be like, uh, it's like breathing, okay? Confessing sin is what believers in Messiah do, see? So what do I mean by that? Well, you see in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This doesn't mean if, you know, if we don't uh, confess our, like if we forget a sin on Tuesday night, okay, uh, we're no longer forgiven. No, he's, it's is really like a, a given, all right, that confess, if we confess our sins, because this is what we do, there is, there is a transaction that is continually taking place in the life of those who walk in the light. Okay, Confession, what does it mean? It means basically to agree with God, in this context, agree with God about sin. In other words, when I do something and I know that, you know, oh, you know I really uh, either thought a really bad thought about that person, or I did something, I, and I know that was wrong, or I said this, or I did this, I... Uh, and we feel, uh, you know, there's a sense of feeling guilty about it, consider that as uh, coming from the Lord, right? And confession is an attitude or words that we say where we're agreeing with God about that sin. Yes, this is sin. Now, how does that come out? How does that manifest itself? Confession usually manifests itself by repenting, okay? Repenting means to turn, to turn from sin to God, right? And so it is important that we uh, repent slash confess our sins. Now, the book of James, we read, confess your sins one to another. We read that in the fifth chapter. Confess your sins one to another. The reason that it says confess your sins one to another is because as human beings, there is something very powerful about agreeing with God about my sin in the, uh, you know, in the presence of another person. Because for many of us, it just simply makes it real. And we need that transaction. And that's, that's important. Now, it's not like a law, right? That the only way that you can ever be forgiven is to confess your sins to another person. But it can be very helpful. And we should never feel that, uh, you know, this is uh, something that is just nobody's business. It actually is. Because if you remember from last time, we're connected to one another by this uh, eternal life. And when we sin, we can be damaging the whole community. So it is important, and to use discernment, wisdom, to know when I need to confess it to another person. And then, oh, big time discernment, to know who that person might be. All right? Uh, when we're going to confess our sins... To another person, I would suggest someone who is a recognized uh, a leader in a, in a spiritual community. Not just somebody who happens to be there. Because who knows, right? You know, 
Who knows what people do with information? Sad, isn't it? But it's true, right? Uh, but most importantly, we need to recognize that when we're confessing, we're confessing to God. Now, you know, in the Bible, there's a lot of illustrations of confession. We, this is nothing to ever take lightly or to be assumed. My guess is, is that for many of us, we really don't confess sins very often. Because we just sort of have this, of course, understanding, well, the Messiah died for my sins, he rose from the dead, all my sins are forgiven, and so what? You know how it says in the book of Romans, shall we continue in sin that grace might increase? Right, and then he says, may it never be. Okay, of course, he says that uh, uh, there, may it never be, for the very same reason that he says here, you know, uh, in 1 John, in, in chapter 2, and verse 1, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. Because you could get the impression that, okay, we sin, we might as well sin and experience more grace, you know, and, uh, uh, and all of that. Now, all of us, let's, we would all say, never. But again, we tend to live that way. We just tend, but the proof is in the pudding. And oftentimes, we just tend to live that way. It's just the way I am. And so I sin and God forgives me and that's it. But we need to recognize, we need to recognize that as children of the light, when we recognize sin, we need to confess it. We need to confess it. Not just say, well, I know it's already covered by the blood. Okay? That's great for your doctrinal statement. Okay? But in real life, in real relating to God, in real relating to other people, we need to confess our sins, okay? So that we can really experience in real time what cleansing is and forgiveness. My fear is, is that we substitute the feeling of cleansing and forgiveness for, I don't really care because I'm saved. Wow. Very important that we take sin seriously as Messiah followers and let us not act like we don't sin. We act like we don't sin when we don't confess our sins. I'm not saying we're not believers. I'm saying we act that way when we don't confess our sins to God. Okay? So, let me just uh, mention a few illustrations of great people in the Bible, you know, and, and situations uh, where uh, people uh, uh, confessed uh, their sin, their sins. Okay? Uh, for example, I think uh, David is a good illustration uh, here, right? Uh, what does David say when Nathan confronts him? I am the man. After Nathan says, you are the man. David then responds, I am the man, right? And he confesses his uh, sin. Uh, David, we read in uh, 1 Chronicles 21, David said to God, I am the one who has sinned and done wickedly, right? And of course, in Psalm 32, I, uh, David talks about his sin. Uh, you know, my sin to you, my iniquity, I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. And of course, Psalm 51, David talks about, you know, uh, only you have I sinned against, and forgive me, cleanse me, Lord. Right? You can read that on your own. Uh, and of course, then you have uh, the great uh, prophet Isaiah, right? And Isaiah in uh, chapter 6, uh, uh, he has this great vision of, the, of God, 
Uh, and then he says, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the, the King, the Lord of hosts. Okay? And then it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongues. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. No, we uh, do not read about hiding sin among these great uh, people of God. They acknowledge their sin and confess their sin. And then God uses them mightily. It's not like they sin, they confess it, and then they're on the shelf. No, God uh, uses them uh, uh, mightily. In Psalm 38, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, and chasten me not in your burning anger. You know? And he goes on to talk about, here we can, uh, I can turn there actually, in Psalm 38, that is um, another great psalm of, uh, of confession. O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, and chasten me not in thy burning anger, for thine arrows have sunk deep into me, and thy hand has pressed down on me. There is no f uh, soundness in my flesh because of thine indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin, for my iniquities are, are gone over my head as a heavy burden, weigh too much for me. And, uh, and, he, you know, and then he, uh, he continues. And then when you, uh, when you come down, uh, again, he says, uh, Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. And then, of course, you know, in Psalm 51, Be gracious to me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the greatness of thy compassion. Blot, uh, uh, blot out my transgressions. You know, another great person, of course, is uh, Daniel, right? Uh, is uh, uh, Daniel. Uh, and uh, we read there, and, uh, you know, it's interesting, in verse 20 of chapter 9, I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin, you know? So great people in the Bible sinned and confessed their sin, and God used them mightily. So we should never think that because I've sinned, I have now been disqualified from knowing God. Certainly there are some sins that could disqualify us from some activities or offices or things of that nature, but uh, recognizing and being convicted of sin is a telltale sign of knowing the Lord and then uh, uh, confessing that sin. So now when we come back to 1, 1 John here, we read... Um, so if we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous. He's faithful and righteous. And then it says, to forgive us and to cleanse us. Faithful and right. God is faithful and righteous when we confess our sins. Faithful. That's, a very, that's very interesting. Uh, you know, uh, perhaps what John is thinking about is a passage all the way back in Exodus. In Exodus uh, chapter 34. In Exodus chapter 34, we read about the truthfulness or the faithfulness uh, of God. And uh, we read there, this is where Moses uh, wants to see the face of God, and God identifies himself by his attributes. And so he says, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness, uh, and, uh, and truth and faithfulness in some uh, translations, who keeps loving kindness for thousands and forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. 
So according to this, this is what God says, this is who he is, and this is what he does. And we know that uh, in sending uh, Messiah Yeshua for the forgiveness of our sins, that we are indeed forgiven and uh, and our sins uh, are uh, our sins are forgiven, and we are we are cleansed. And so, when we confess our, when we agree about uh, our sins to God, God keeps His word. He keeps His word, and He does the right thing. That's you know, in plain English, that's what that means. He keeps His word, and He does the right thing. And what is that? He continually forgives us and cleanses us. He did it once. But its effects continue, continue for those who are uh, in the Messiah. And so what does a believer do? What does a person in the light do? What does a person connected to that eternal life of God do? That person, by new nature, confesses sins. And what happens in return is we are forgiven and we are cleansed. Now this is very important. That we understand this. Now, if you have at some point in your life, in some way, shape, or form, embraced Yeshua, you know, uh, repented, uh, 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 asked the Messiah to come into your life, you come to the place where you recognize that Yeshua is the Messiah, you believe, you believe that, that 2,000 years ago, Yeshua really lived, died, and rose from the dead. Right? You believe that. You don't say, I believed it when I uh, prayed, or when I first came to believe that, and I, because I believed it then, okay, now I'm a child of God. No, you say, I believed it then, and I believe it now. Well, that also means that I confess my sins then, I confess, I confess my sins now. I was forgiven uh, at that moment. I'm continuously forgiven and cleansed. I am afraid that some of us believed it then, but we don't really believe it now because too much history has gone down between us and God. And so we kind of feel maybe it's kind of all ruined because I didn't keep up my end of the bargain. I didn't live that life the way I was supposed to live. And so now it's like 30 years later, or 20 years later, or a month later, or a year later, and I don't know. I don't feel it anymore, you know? We need to continuously believe that this is true and continuously confess our sins and continuously experience forgiveness and cleansing. Forgiveness means that God doesn't hold our sins against us. My guess is that some of us here maybe even tell God our sins, but we really don't believe that we're forgiven because it's just too much. But that is the glory of knowing Messiah Yeshua, is that his forgiveness, his loving kindness is abounding. There's no bottom of the well. And so he removes, when we say he forgives us, it means, okay, Yeshua took our sins on himself, and so he does not hold us eternally accountable for those sins. We're forgiven. Yes. We have a hard time understanding that because as human beings, we have a hard time forgiving and, and understand what that's like. But yes, it is true. And then on top of it, we are cleansed. You know, it would be one thing for us to be forgiven of our sins, but that the sin is still kind of like hanging over our heads. And that now, because of my sin, I can't have the same kind of relationship with God anymore 
that I had before because of that sin. I know he forgives me, but now there is this, uh, you know, I, I just can't, uh, I cannot have that experience anymore. Well, here is some wonderful news. Cleansing is an important word here. In the Torah, I, cleansing is used in several different ways. One way is, and I won't take the time to turn to all the passages, but you can read them. In Leviticus, we'll be there in a few weeks, uh, the passage is uh, about defilement of the body, okay? Uh, from chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15 in Leviticus. It talks about people being unclean before God, okay? okay? Then you have other places where uh, God cleanses us from our sins. What the word refers to is defilement, okay? Sometimes it's used not of sin, but just of we don't, uh, we're not able to uh, approach God, especially in the economy of the Torah, okay? We're not, we were not able to approach God because of certain uh, bodily uh, issues. And so we had to uh, wait for the priest to examine us, you know, and then we could approach God. Now, why that is, you got to come to the Torah study in a few weeks and we'll discuss it, okay? But just, this is what the text says in the, in the Bible, Okay? So, uh, people had to be clean, undefiled in the Torah in order to approach God. Sin also made a person defiled, and they could not approach God. What the Messiah has done is he has not only forgiven our sin, is, but he has made us uh, holy or pure. We are no longer defiled. But how many of us feel down deep inside, I am defiled? Yes, God forgives me, but I am dirty. I, I did this, I did this thing. And it's gross. It's bad. It's embarrassing. Or this, this thing was done to me. And, and, and I'm just defiled. Even if it was done to me, I just, I just can't. I just know that I don't measure up to God, even though I'm forgiven and all that. But you see, we need to believe, we need to trust that we really are not only forgiven, but that we are clean before God. We are cleansed. We are free to love Him and to serve Him and to forgive others and to truly rejoice in this salvation. And doesn't that put a whole new spin on salvation and deliverance? Deliverance from defilement. Deliverance from this way that I understand myself. And may we be able to really embrace now, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He cleanses us from all the bad things. Wow. Wow. And so when we embrace that, that puts a whole new understanding of, well, I really am a new person in Messiah. And it opens up all kinds of new opportunities to love others because now I don't have to hate myself, you see. Now, as he continues here, he says, Let's go to chapter 2. My little children. See, he loves these people so much. He uses these terms of endearment because this is such precious truth. This is such precious truth. 
My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Yeshua the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation of our sins, and not uh, for ours only, but for those of the whole world. Okay? So now he's giving more. Remember I said weeks ago, weeks ago, that what you have in these verses are the mechanics. It's like the mechanics of our relationship with God, how it works. So we, we've talked about this one thing about what eternal life is, and I repeat it over and over again because hardly anybody ever says it, about how we're connected to his life, you know, and therefore connected to each other by that life of God, right? That's part of the mechanics of of what it means to be saved by his life, eternal life, and the resurrection life of Messiah. But now here's a really important one. Okay, so we confess our sins. What we have here is this great illustration. It's like a picture given to us of a courtroom scene, really, of a, of a courtroom scene, okay? If anyone sins, we have an advocate. It's like we have a lawyer. So Yeshua is not only a great physician, but he is also a, a great uh, attorney, okay? We have an advocate with, uh, with the Father, Yeshua, the Messiah, the righteous. Now, this is, this is a picture given to us, okay? And so it's as if we stand before God, the Father, but Yeshua says, he belongs to me, she belongs to me, okay? This person belongs to me, so their sin is forgiven, uh, and they're cleansed, and so... They can go in. Remember I said that last week, that Yeshua is our entree. Yeshua is like our credentials in. This is what, uh, this is what, that, what that means. But what's very interesting about this is, is that in the prophets, there are a variety of passages that depict God's anger at Israel as uh, a courtroom scene as the, this case I have against you. In fact, there's a, a word in Hebrew that's used in a lot of the prophets, the word reeb. And, and it means, like, uh, this is the case that I have against you. And so it's like the prophet is, is uh, you know, he is standing in the place of God saying, this is what I have against you. And he wants them, you know, to, uh, uh, to repent. Uh, you read this in a number of uh, places in Micah. Uh, Micah is a pretty good one because you have uh, two very important passages about this in the prophet uh, Micah. And perhaps the reason that John uses this terminology of advocate, because the word could be translated simply helper, okay? But he, perhaps he uses the word advocate in relationship to the promise that, promises that God makes in the prophets regarding the case that he has against, uh, against us. Uh, you know, in, in uh, chapter 6 and verse 1 of Micah, it says, Hear now uh, what the Lord is saying. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Listen, you mountains, to the indictment of the Lord. See, these are the words that are used. Legal, legal terminology, right? And your enduring foundations of the earth, because the Lord has a case against his people. Even with Israel, he will dispute. My people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. And it goes on and on, right? Well, it's interesting. When you come to the seventh chapter, uh, down uh, to the ninth verse, we read there, 
I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes judge justice for me. He will bring me out to the light and I will see his righteousness. Isn't that great? Right there in Micah chapter 7. Uh, in fact, we will see throughout 1 John that there are very interesting allusions or echoes to the prophet Micah. Very interesting. So he's saying here, uh, you know, I will bear the indignation of the Lord until I have sinned, because I have sinned against him, until he pleads my case and executes justice for me. He will bring me out to the light and I will see his righteousness. That is exactly what Yeshua does for us as our advocate. He pleads our case. So the same picture is used. God has a case against his people. God, and in Yeshua, pleads the case, and we are declared righteous, using the same kind of uh, picture or metaphor as Micah does. And then in Psalm 119, in fact, we just, uh, it was either Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, we just looked at this verse in Psalm 119, verse 154. Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to thy word. Plead my case. He used that same word in Hebrew, reeb. Plead my cause. Plead my case. And redeem me. Revive me according to thy word. According to your promise. That is exactly what happens in, in Messiah Yeshua. Here in 1 John. He pleads our case. And we are declared a righteous. And this is what is promised, of course, uh, in a passage uh, like uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, in the, about the new covenant. Okay. Uh, we read here uh, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my Torah within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive uh, their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Okay? And that is absolutely true. That God uh, forgives our sins and he does not uh, remember uh, our sins. Chapter 33, verse 8 of Jeremiah. Now I can sleep tonight. Okay. Chapter 33 and verse 8. A reiteration of this. Jeremiah 33 and verse 8. Now, this is a promise of Israel's future. And it includes, verse 8, And I will cleanse them from all their iniquity, by which they have sinned against me. And I will pardon all their iniquities, by which they have sinned against me and by which they have transgressed against me. When we talk about living Israel's future today, we're experiencing that kind of forgiveness and that kind of cleansing. We see it also 
in Ezekiel chapter 36, in verse 25, where we read, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. And moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you should be careful to observe my ordinances. So this is what God does. This is what we experience. And we have this advocate. And so John is, in a sense, saying what I was saying in Micah there, and what I've said in other places, that I will indeed plead your case. And so, uh, yes, we are guilty. But rather than standing before God saying, Guilty, guilty, sentenced, guilty, sentenced. We have an advocate that says, I have taken their sins upon, them, upon me. And they are clean. They are righteous before you in me. And we can, therefore, come before, the, before God with confidence and with boldness. Not just say verses about it, but we can really believe that you know, about, uh, about our own uh, lives. In the book of Hebrews, we read here in chapter, let's just go to chapter 10. Chapter 10, in verse 19, Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Yeshua, by a new and living way which he inaugurated through us through the veil that is his flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to therefore stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not, as, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the, the day approaching. Now this is very, uh, very interesting that he says, says it that way, that we should enter with confidence, and then immediately he talks about not forsaking the assembling of uh, together of believers and encouraging one another. Because if you go back to uh, 1 John here, and this is where we'll end because this is where we'll pick up uh, the next time, is that we see here that, uh, so I, if anybody sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Yeshua the Messiah, and he is the, the propitiation for our sins, and not uh, for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. He himself is the propitiation. That's a very interesting word. It's only used a few times uh, in the New Covenant, but one could say it, it, uh, that he himself is the, is, is the atonement for our sins. He is the satisfaction for our sins. That in him, our sins are atoned for, we're forgiven and cleansed, and that meets the standard of God so that we truly can have assurance that we are in the light and we live in the light. But when we sin, remember to confess and remember that great promise that when you confess, you are forgiven and you are cleansed in your conscience and in your body. And that you can approach God with confidence in prayer 
and therefore you can, you can experience truly the love of God. Uh, and then he says, uh, not only for us, not just for us, but those of the whole world. What that means is, by the way, that it means that Yeshua's atonement is enough for every single human being. It never gets filled up. It's never like, oh, we should have left an hour earlier. We would have got on the train. You know what I mean? It's never too late. It's never too late to confess your sins. You're never like one person short. It's not like everybody but me. That the uh, faithfulness of God has no bottom. Okay? And so when he says the whole world, it means that the, the atonement, the salvation of God is big enough for everybody. Big enough for everybody. Uh, and then, in closing, he says here, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. He immediately says that. And I'm just going to say, little coming attractions, but he has one particular thing in mind when he says that. And it's very interesting uh, that it is down, a little farther down, in verse 9. It's all going to kind of lead up to this. The one who says he is the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. So it's very interesting that uh, a telltale sign positively of being in the light is loving the brethren. And he's going to talk a lot about this in this letter. That this is what it means when we confess our sins, when we're forgiven and when we're cleansed. We experience the love of God and we can therefore give out the love of God in all kinds of varieties of ways. And this is demonstrated before this lost, dying world. And next time we'll talk more about that. But may we get it today that, boy, if you embrace Messiah Yeshua, you are clean before God. You are forgiven before God. And as Messiah followers, we confess our sins. Do not sweep sins under the rug or do not pretend that you don't sin or do not think that if I sin, I better not let anybody know because then they won't really think I'm a believer or something. But face your sins. Confess them. And yes, indeed, you are forgiven and you indeed are cleansed. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this great news. For this great news, Lord, that in you, God, there is cleanness. In you there is a, a holiness. That we are not defiled anymore because we have embraced you. Lord, may we not think of ourselves as sinless. May we not pretend to be sinless. May we embrace people who sin. May we welcome people who sin. And may we be here for people who sin not to entertain the sin but to be agents of change in people's lives, to help people experience forgiveness and cleansing in their lives so they can be whole and live fully orbed human lives as image bearers of you. Lord, just as Yeshua, in his undefilement, in his perfectly pure life, ate with sinners and, and became attractive, therefore, to them, so, Lord, may we as the body of Messiah eat with sinners. And, Lord, may we be people who, who uh, introduce people to the way of forgiveness and the way of cleansing. And may we ex certainly experience it ourselves in our own lives. And, Lord, we do thank you, God, 
for that great news. We do thank you, Lord, in Yeshua's name.